Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. This show is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. For more information about the show or to see past episodes, go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P. My guest today is Mirabai Devi. Mirabai Devi is an international spiritual teacher and mentor to thousands of people around the world. Her work is to help raise the collective consciousness of humanity. She does this by helping the individual awaken to their inner divine nature through giving darshan, satsangs, workshops, talks, and individual sessions. She travels throughout the U.S., South Africa, and worldwide. Welcome, Mirabai. Thank you, Rick. It's wonderful to be here with you today yeah. in Fairfield. In Fairfield. What's your yeah. impression of Fairfield? Oh, I love Fairfield. Yeah, you've been it's twice beautiful. now, right? Second More visit. than twice. Wow. Yeah, I think this is my fourth time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful consciousness, beautiful energy. Yeah. So you go to a lot, to, you live in Kauai, and yes. you're always going to places like Asheville and, you know, spiritual places. <laughs> um, do you notice that different places have a sort of a different flavor or different fingerprint? Completely different, yeah. yeah. It's it literally from one island, Maui, mm -hmm. to the next island, Kauai, it's like a different planet. Yeah. So imagine going from there to Iowa, or Iowa to Boston, or the different spiritual, both the big cities and the spiritual towns mm -hmm. that are more like community-oriented, night and day difference. Mm. Yeah. And what do you feel about Fairfield as a spiritual community, if you can be more specific, you know, in terms of its flavor, its, its spiritual fingerprint? Well, it feels incredibly uplifting and powerful. As we were driving here from Chicago, it could actually feel the border mm -hmm. of Fairfield. You know, we came up in the car against a wall of consciousness, mm. and then we bumped into this wall of consciousness and went through it, and then everything was just like, ah, mm. peaceful, blissful, uplifting. It's just exquisite, and mm. it really is a thing. I mean, you could cut it with a knife. Yeah. The consciousness raising effect has really worked here and uh, the community has done an amazing job over the years following the teachings of their guru, Maharshi Mahesh Yogi and mm -hmm. Gurudev. And you can really feel the work that's been created here through the consciousness effect. There's a real unified field. So I love that. I mean, it's like coming into a town where everybody's already transcending. You don't have to work so hard to get people to transcend and then take them into the direct healing you know, effect. They're already in the transcendent and so it, it sinks in a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. So we need to create this, not only in spiritual communities around the world, but we need to get the consciousness of the world risen to be like Fairfield. Mm, that would be nice. Wouldn't it? Some people find it's a bit of a pressure cooker here, you know, because the, the spiritual energy is kind of intense and they feel a sense of relief when they get out of town once in a while. Yeah. yeah. When people work with me and they receive divine light transmissions, the experience is that all their stuff comes up. Everything that the light touches on is going to be pulled up and pulled out, kind of like weeding a garden. The intense frequency of the light is going to push anything that is not of the light, that is not serving us, upward and outward. And when it's coming out, it can have a tendency to feel like a detoxing or as they say here an unstressing effect mm -hmm. and when that detoxing is happening it can feel really really intense especially if you have a lot of suppressed stuff like suppressed anger or suppressed fear or karmic buildup residue it would feel like you want to 
you know, run from the light, right. run from the light and hide. And that's what happens at my gatherings. Sometimes people run out of gatherings mm. and they just have to get away because the negativity in them starts screaming mm. as it's coming out and being pulled like a vacuum that's sucking it out or Ganesha's trunk, you know, that's yeah. removing all those obstacles. It's, it's, you're in the fire <laughs> and the fire can feel hot. Yeah. Marshy used that same analogy. He said that noise of the Hoover, you know, it, it makes <laughs> such a commotion and there's dust flying, but once you're done, it's, it's a cleaner room. <laughs> yeah, it is a much cleaner room. It's like, I think Marsh has used the word dust in the attic, mm. the dust flying around in the attic. Yeah. And so that's the same effect when we do light transmissions with individuals and groups is all the stuff is flying around and it can be confusing for people's minds and egos if you identify with the stress that's leaving mm -hmm. and you think, oh, I am that stress that's leaving. I am that particle of dust. Mm. So we always tell people don't focus on, don't merge with the stuff that's releasing. Stay focused on the divine light, which is who you are and which is what you are and don't get caught into the negativity that's leaving. Just say bye-bye, <laughs> or blow it a kiss, bye-bye. <laughs> and just stay identified with the truth, with the light, with the consciousness, with what is what you're gaining, this newfound state of consciousness and freedom that you're gaining, and release the other. So I've, I've had the joy of listening to quite a few hours of your other interviews and talks and so on in the past few days. And uh, I've really enjoyed listening to your personal story. I think it's quite interesting and unique. And I, kn I know people can go on YouTube and hear other people, hear other interviews in which you've told that story. Yeah. But most of my interview, most of my listeners won't have heard it. And, and I'd rather just sort of have you tell it here. And maybe I'll ask a few questions that weren't brought up in other times that you've told it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Well, I was born with a overwhelming longing to return back to the divine light, to return home to God. And of course, like many other individuals, was very angry, mad to be back in a physical body. I was like, I knew I was going for the light and I must have turned, made a wrong turn and gone down some other corridor back into this dimension. I was done with the earth, you know, I, I thought. And I'm sure many have had that experience. And I sort of found myself being shot down through a tube and into a body again. You remember that? And, yes. Yeah. And um, I remember having a dream later on in my life that I was shot through a tube of light, landed on the earth and watched all the civilizations of the earth going through from the beginning of time right up until the current day, saw the city that I was born in all around me and then came into the body and I heard the words, now experience life in a body, in a city, and experience what it means to have enlightenment in this form. Do you remember the last time you were in a body and prior to this life? I do, yes, but I won't talk about that. Okay. Yeah, that's personal information. Sure. And so as I was coming into this whole experience again, it was this intense form of I've done this, I completed, why am I back? What, what's left? What could possibly be left? And I came to understand over the course of my life with perspective that what that meant is I had, I had been sent back and obviously the divine had asked me to come back to help raise the consciousness of humanity and to help humanity and I'd agreed to it. But once it, I was in that narrow form of limitation, that, that excruciation of going from being infinite cosmic 
unified energy where you are just the all that is in the bliss of being and experiencing being all the elemental energy too and then being stuffed into this little narrow shoe <laughs> which is what the body is it was excruciating yeah. and I was like oh not again I can't go through another period of this yeah. and of course I had forgotten and so different divine masters appeared around my bed from the age of three to the age of seven and there were 12 masters that came always 12 and as a group as a group and they stood around my bed at night and they would look into my eyes and of course I know who all the divine masters are but I would look into their eyes and I would say how come you all have the same eyes you all have one eyes in other words they had oneness in they their eyes the same in their eyes identical mm -hmm. like I was looking at the same soul and they said because we are in a state of oneness and you will come back and remember your state of oneness too and that's why we're here we're here to bring you back into your remembrance of your state of oneness so what I came to understand is that I like every other human being went through the birth tube and forgot and they came at a very young age to shake me out of that state of forgetting because I had a mission and I'd signed up and said I'll take on the contract I'll do the mission and I'll be here for this consciousness raising during this golden age of enlightenment during this age of the new sun but I obviously had forgotten so they were there to wake me up and so they did everything they could to help wake me up they took me out of my body every night from the age of seven um, onwards actually I'm sorry excuse me from the age of three to the age of seven and shortly onwards after seven mm -hmm. where I was taken to different planets every night by these divine masters and they would show me these are the realms of the light and these are the realms of darkness and these are souls that have forgotten their light and they would show me how to uncover the light within each soul in these different dimensions. So they take you to heavenly planets and hellish Celestial planets. realms and hell realms. Mm -hmm. Just to show you the whole to range. To show me the whole range. Yeah. And they taught me how to transmit light and how to take the seed of light in the heart and magnify it and take souls out of darkness and into light. So this did you actually practice doing that when you were on a particular planet? You would sort of work with yes. someone and... Yes. But you must have been in some ethereal body. Yes, there. in my etheric body uh -huh. or in my astral body, but uh -huh. I'd say more likely etheric. Hmm. And they would show me how it was done. And of course these masters were doing it since time immemorial and they were just reminding me of the work that I was to do mm -hmm. here in this form and beyond this world of mm -hmm. course and I believe I was doing the work before but it was some kind of restarting of the process again and so particularly was shown that my work was on other dimensions in other words on many different realms both hell realms and intermediary realms mm. beyond the earth as well as the earth and that was purely from taking people from darkness into light. So they I wonder if everyone how. listening to this takes for granted that there are various realms. I wonder if it would be yeah. worth taking a minute or so just to explain how and why there are. So there are as many realms and dimensions as you can imagine grains of sand in every beach surrounding the entire earth. If you could take every grain of sand, that each grain is a dimension or a realm. That's how many there are. And these beings, these divine masters, know their way between all of them. And they're not necessarily off someplace at a distance, they're right here, right? Yes. Everywhere. 
Yes, yeah. there's the Chinese doll is the best symbolic image you mean I've the Russian seen. Dolls? The Russian, I'm yeah, sorry, thank doll you. Within, doll within doll. The Russian doll has a large doll and mm -hmm. inside you take it apart and inside it's a smaller doll and right. you take that apart and there's another doll inside mm -hmm. that and you keep going until you get to the tiniest little doll at the very core yeah. and they're all kind of inside of it, wrapped inside of each other. Mm -hmm. That's how the dimensions are. Everything is here and now within. Each dimension is within. So they all go like that Russian doll mm -hmm. within each other. So when you're traveling through the dimensions, our brain and our ego computes time and space. But on the celestial levels, or even beyond, there is no time and space. To the soul, there's no time and space. Mm. So when the soul is traveling, there's no experience of time and space. There's more just the experience of the forms and the images. Do they correspond to one another? So if we could experience the celestial realm in this room, yes. would it be the celestial version of this room? Or does it have a completely different sort of topography unlike it what we're seeing on the gross. Some are the same and some would be completely different topography. Mm -hmm. So it's what we would see on the gross. That you'd be in a in a different planet. You wouldn't even be experiencing this. Right. This is just a movie image projected out by by our collective consciousness. Mm. And they wouldn't necessarily see this or experience this. But some can break through and see both. Right. Depending on their state of consciousness mm -hmm. or what their mission is. And so what you're saying is these masters are kind of adept at traversing all the various like an levels. Elevator. They're not locked into one or another. Have you ever, sorry to interrupt you. No, no I'm interrupting you. you getting excited <laughs> It's there. my karma. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen in your dreams when you're in an elevator and you're going from floor to floor in the elevator and sometimes the elevator breaks and it goes whoosh and you rush all the way down to the bottom? I can imagine. It. Those are different dimensions mm -hmm. that you're traveling between. Yeah. And that's the experience in our astral bodies transition, you know, kick, we're starting and stopping and starting as we go through the floors of the elevator. Mm -hmm. That's our astral body translating, changing dimensions. Mm. So I sometimes think that a good definition of enlightenment might be the ability or the capacity to encompass the full range and uh, simultaneously and function in that state. Effortlessly. Yeah, effortlessly and, yes. and naturally. So, you know, you're shopping, you're driving, you're doing normal stuff yes. on this level, yes. but you're also, your awareness traverses all the other levels simultaneously as well as the ground state of, of all levels. Would that be a good definition? Yes, I'd just like to say that uh, if you look at people like the Dalai Lama or any of the great saints and uh, bodhisattvas and Buddha incarnations, they are grounded with their feet on the earth and very practical and running a organization and running what they run like a president of a state or a country completely down to earth and practical but at the same time trained to traverse the realms and dimensions mm. and that's the art so you're absolutely entirely accurate there yes okay. it's a very practical normal state enlightenment very practical normal consciousness and at the same time, you're able to travel through the relative and through the absolute. Yeah. I think it's worth emphasizing because sometimes people have this sort of black and white version of enlightenment yes. in their mind. And it's like, I just want the absolute. The world is an illusion. Who cares about global warming or whatever? You know, it's all illusory. Anyway, and sort of like they do not not giving each level its due justice or its due regard. Yes. Uh, I believe it was Maharshi Mahesh that said, Mahesh Yogi that said, uh, knowledge is structured in consciousness mm -hmm. 
and reality is absolutely structured according to that level. It has its own rules, it has its own game, it has mm -hmm. its own operations and then you move to the next level completely different yeah. different rules different game different operating functions and you can't take one state of reality and apply it to the next state of reality because yeah. they, they're not the same so you can't take the absolute and then try to apply it to the relative and say it doesn't matter what happens in this world in this earthly functioning world because it's all an illusion. Right. So I think Maharshi also said, you, you know, if you take someone with a hammer and hit them over the head, they're going to feel it, sure. right? It's going to yeah. be painful and you'll cause damage. Yeah. So just in the same way people say it's okay to run around and murder people, I mean, no, it's not. Right. On this level, that causes suffering and pain and karma and harm and breaks laws and creates heaps of negative karma and destroys one's oneself. So no, it's not okay. And so we need to take care of global warming. We need to take care of the planet. We need to do everything we can on this level to help and make a difference and make a change. Otherwise, no one would bother yeah. if it didn't matter. Good. I think it's important to emphasize that. Um, yeah. And we could spend a whole interview talking about that, but yeah, let's, we, we left you at the age of seven. Okay, so I, I then I... heard you got initiated into TM when you were seven. I got into initiated yeah. into TM when I was seven. Must have been the children's technique at that it age. It was the yeah. children's technique, yes. Yeah. And I later went on and did the TM Cities oh. program in uh, 1993, Okay. Uh, when I was 23. Uh -huh. And so I did TM most of my life and Cities as oh, well. Didn't know that. Yes, and my whole family too. Do you still practice it? I do, yes. Okay, and the Cities and everything? Yes, I do. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, at around seven onwards, when I went to school, you know, I was uh, in South Africa, that would be junior school, mm -hmm. and I shut down. And I shut down pretty much, I mean, shortly after seven, I was still going through the astral traveling to different dimensions and my inner training. But I shut down on the outer level mm -hmm. when I went to school because I was in that experience. You a kid for a while? Actually, it was the opposite. Oh. I didn't feel like a normal kid. Yeah. And I didn't know how to relate. And I felt very alienated. And my family was going through, my, their parents got divorced when I was three and my family were going through that moment of dark night of the soul mm -hmm. with the divorce and my mom being a single mother. And so during that period at home and the period of being around other people at school, I didn't know how to relate. Mm. And so I went from kindergarten where I was walking around saying, I'm ancient, I can fly. What do you mean you can't fly? Of course you can fly. You know, I fly every night. Right. I'm trillions of years old, I'm, I'm ageless, I'm deathless, I'm immortal. So are you, don't you know it? <laughs> and at seven through junior school, I realized I couldn't keep talking that way because right. people thought I was crazy. Yeah. So I shut down and stopped talking about everything and tried to learn how to fit into this world, this society. And now, you know, in retrospect, hindsight's 2020, I should have gone to a Waldorf school. But at that time, of course, you know, we didn't know. Well, did you manage to suppress your own experience or you just shut your mouth and didn't say stuff that would freak people out? I pretty much uh, went through shutting my mouth so that I didn't freak people out and then after maybe a couple of months or even early years after seven I shut down the inner level mm -hmm. also because I didn't know how to relate to both at the same time right. because I was having such a vast inner experience that I couldn't fit into this world. So I had to shut it down to a certain extent. And in some phases from seven till 16, 17, almost altogether, completely. Yeah. So you became a 
normal adolescent for yeah, a while. Yeah, because I was talking to Davis and talking to Celestials and talking to Divine yeah. Incarnations and then nobody else knew what I was talking about. So I shut it down and at 17 became vegetarian. Uh -huh. And uh, I spent some time when I was 17 around the Hare Krishna organization, you know, coming into the temples mm -hmm. and just smelling the incense and hearing the bells and seeing the Indian clothing and eating a vegetarian diet and just woke back up again. Yeah. And after that, um, I went into, from 21 and 22, I went into this insatiable desire for enlightenment. It was like an unquenchable thirst where nothing in this world could satisfy me. Mm. It was like nothing in this world can bring me any happiness. All I want is, is God union. And everything else seemed so insignificant and paled in comparison. And I really didn't want to be here anymore on the planet because obviously, I'd shut down so much, I'd gone into a complete state of separation at that point, mm. which was illusory, yeah. of course, because I could never really lose it, because we are it. But as everybody else goes through forgetting, I had gone through a period of forgetting. Do you see that as having an evolutionary value? I mean, not only for you, but for everybody. There, if we acknowledge that the, the universe is one big evolution machine, it must be well and wisely put that we forget in order to, and then eventually rediscover. Correct. Correct, yes, it's very intentional. It's, it's on purpose. Yeah. And it has its perfection of reasons. And when you see the whole picture, it makes perfect sense. Hmm. Would you say that having forgotten and then having realized once more, you end up with something more than if you never left the state of oneness? Yes. <laughs> it adds a different value to it because mm. you appreciate it so much more. Mm. You know, how they talk about Radha is the longing mm -hmm. and Krishna is the beloved mm -hmm. and the feminine is about longing for the beloved and then the divine masculine or Sri Krishna represents that principle of, you know, merging with the beloved. And so in the same way the soul, which you could look at in that aspect, is feminine in that it's the embodiment of that aspect of longing and when it comes back to itself, back to the self, the reuniting process is so glorious, mm. it's so ecstatic, it's so triumphant that there's nothing, it's just an indescribable experience that the loss and then the reunion, only that experience can bring you into that those facets of those emotions and feelings and qualities, those heights of ecstasy and those depths of darkness that you go through in the longing, you know, the dark night of the soul, or even the desert. Many souls go through the desert. I see that even in spiritual communities, people that have been meditating sometimes 40, 50 years and they're still going through the desert, you know, mm. that happens. Not people in this town. Yes. And so it's really important to you know, to break through that phase, those phases, and to keep it moving mm -hmm. to that place of, of finding. And that's why, you know, it's very easy for awakened teachers to say, you are it, just be it. You yeah. never lost it. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. There's only to be here now. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say that. But when you're in separation, to find it within you is a whole art. It's a science. Yeah. You have to know where to go. And to me, that's the role of a teacher. You know, the role of the teacher is to lift the veils, to help you lift the veils and to generate enough consciousness where you do it yourself mm -hmm. with their help and their grace so that you find it. 
because it's within, it's not without. And so that moment of reunion is so ecstatic that that's the whole point. You know, that's the whole point is the Shiva and the Shakti. They unite, you know, and the whole creation forms. So it's the loss and the, the gain. Yeah, the Upanishad says contact with Brahman is infinite joy. And Maharshi used to say that, you know, you don't, Brahman doesn't become a living reality until you've gone through the whole rigmarole, cycle. the whole cycle, yeah. I think it was T.S. Eliot said, the, the end of all our seeking will be to come back to the place from whence we started and to know it for the first time. <laughs> oh yes, I know that. That's a beautiful <laughs> saying. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah, exactly. My mother used to read that to me when I was a child. Yeah. So you went to India, you had this burning desire for God, the Hare Krishna thing kind of stoked the fire a bit. And it then soaked the fire a bit and turned me vegetarian. Yeah. And then of course, you know, it was just a brief diving into the Hare mm -hmm. Krishna path, just for a short period, yeah. just to get it's my appetite give a kick. and give me a kick. And then I went off to India, mm -hmm. believing in my consciousness, as many people do, that India would bring me that enlightenment, that answer that. And I, I wanted to find a, a realized guru. And of course, what happened was that my path was very unique in the sense that um, I did spend some time in a couple of different ashrams and I did have intensive inner journeys. And what was unique to my path is that I believe that my spiritual masters, my spiritual divine beings were guiding me beyond those particular forms of those you know, avatars and masters that were in India mm -hmm. and led me to go solo. Is it relevant to say which ashrams you went to? Yeah, I don't really like to share okay. those because those are personal. Yeah. But, um, but I did go to a solo retreat in Goa mm -hmm. after living in ashrams. And that was the point. That was the turning point where I lay down on a rock in Goa one night under the full moon and prostrated on the rock to the moon and I surrendered my life mm. completely. And there was just this overwhelming sense of, my throat just chokes up talking about it. Ah. There was just this overwhelming sense of, I'm done. Ah. I can't go on. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. There's, you know, I said, God, if you don't show your face to me, if you don't appear and take me, then I want to die. Mm. I don't want to stay here in this ignorance, in this separation, not one more second, not one more moment, not one more breath. I'll never eat food again. I'll never drink water again. I'll never get up from this rock. I'm gonna lay here and, and die. And I went on some kind of a strike. It's interesting how God sometimes responds to ultimatums. <laughs> really. I mean, there are stories like that. There was, there was some guy who held an incense stick. He said, if I'm not enlightened by the time this burns down, I'm killing myself. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I know, and it's funny because I'm a bhakta, you know, yeah. I'm a bhakti yogini, so my path has been devotion. And mm -hmm. so that was, you know, the longing was so excruciating, yeah. so intense. And I know Paramahansa Yogananda said, you know, the way to God is to desire God more than anything else. A lot else. of them say that. should be like, you know, they say like holding your breath underwater, the desire, the, the intensity of the desire to breathe is equivalent to how strong your desire for God should be. Yeah. And I know it's true because yeah. I've experienced it myself and everything I teach, I say wisdom is integrated experience. Mm -hmm. Unless you've experienced it for yourself, how do you really know? Right. And so I experienced that, I reached that end mm. and I lay down on the rock and that's what happened is that I was told get up and go back to your cabin. And I got up and went back to my cabin and I laughed and cried for eight hours. Emerged through many different stages and phases. 
and it would be hard to describe them all in this interview because obviously it's a it's a it's volumes mm -hmm. of what you know it's the timelessness of of the infinite levels of experience you go through in that moment and then i broke through into the absolute mm -hmm. and um, I did have an experience although I do share this part is one of the stages was an experience of moving into the Godhead and meeting what I describe as the celestial being um, who then said you have to go back some particular celestial being yes there was a there was an experience of meeting the Godhead mm -hmm. and the celestial being was said to me you need to go back and you need to help raise the consciousness of humanity and help the planet. And I also heard, and help your family mm. and help all to awaken. Now you have awakened, you need to experience others to awaken. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's impossible because I didn't do anything. All I did was lay down on the rock and die. <laughs> How can I possibly help them? I don't even know what I did. How could I share with anybody what to do? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine you teaching retreats or okay, everybody, lie down and die. <laughs> In fact, that, that's a question actually is that, you know, you came to this sort of crescendo or this junction point where yes. you couldn't go any further. I shouldn't think that that can be fabricated or faked in any way. It, you were no. kind of at a level of ripeness where the fruit was yes. ready to fall off the tree, yes. mixing metaphors, but most people may have some time to go before they yes. reach that level of intensity. Yes, it's a ripening, it's a maturity, it can happen over thousands and thousands of lifetimes, right. you know, and obviously I had come in already in unity, mm -hmm. then gone into separation, and then had to find that unity again, and I was just done. I was absolutely done with playing the game, yeah. you know. And one of the things I remember is I pulled off my jewelry and my clothes and I said, I'm done with being the actress mm. in, this, in this movie. I, I'm no longer going to participate in this movie and I had to let go of my identity. I had to burn my identity. And the identity was the ego identity. Mm -hmm. The identity of being, you know, a woman and being in separation and coming from South Africa and having this family and doing this particular journey and whatever I had come from believing I was separate. Mm -hmm. I had to release that identity and then this new self was born hmm. and this new self was all I can describe was that when I was sent back from that celestial realm to come in I sort of remember this kicking and screaming <laughs> feeling of oh, the second time in second my time, life yeah, I was gonna say. but this time consciously yeah. I came back in consciously kicking and screaming and having this sort of pit in my stomach of like hmm. I'm actually going to leave the celestial realm and be here and do this work even for a minute, like how unbearable. And then they kept saying to me, because I had the clear audience intact from that moment forth, they kept, the divine kept saying, it's okay, we'll do it through you. It's okay, you won't be in that separation again. You won't have to go through that separation again and we will be with you and we will tell you what to do every step of the way. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is this time you're not leaving it. You're not, not leaving. You're just yeah. sort of staying in it while doing this. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so 10 years, everything was made out of vibrating light. I couldn't see any solid form hmm. for 10 years afterwards. And also I, I, was, I went through some very intense phases, which I'm sure could be described as, you know, like cosmic consciousness or God consciousness phases where I was seeing the devas and the trees and I was seeing the auras of humans and animals and I was able to talk to the devas and plants and then I went through phases of 
not knowing how to be human, didn't know how to have normal conversations, didn't know how to do normal things, couldn't function in the relative for short periods of time when I would go into, the states would just bleed through. Mm -hmm. And then there would be moments of just not being practical. And so it took 10 to 15 years to be able to function normally and practically. And then it just kicked in and turned the opposite. So it just became so ordinary. Totally, totally. It takes time though, because it's kind of like learning to drive a car, yeah. learning to drive a bicycle. It's like mm -hmm. you're staying connected to those realms, and then you're in this realm, and you're trying to function in this realm. And you, at, when you're in the full-blown experience, it's hard to have a normal conversation. Yeah. It's hard to even understand where people are coming from because you're not in that perception. And so after a while, it all filters back through and you're able to hold it all and it starts to feel very normal. And I think to a certain extent, you tune out as much as you need to tune out and then you turn on as soon as you need to turn on so that you can function as micro-detailed as you need to. Yeah. And it's sort of more like a radio station. You just dial it in and out as you need it. And you learn to navigate with one foot in one world and one foot in the other world. And that takes practice. Yeah. It takes a lot of practice. I think the zoom lens of a camera is a good analogy. You know, sometimes you focus in here, sometimes you take a wide shot. Exactly. You know. Exactly. So. I think really what I came to understand is that I was here to share, I'm an ordinary person. You know, I've had an ordinary life in certain extent. I've been to school, I've been to high school, I've right. been to college. Ever been married, you know, boyfriends, all that stuff? Had a normal, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yep, all that stuff and had a normal life. And that my experience was to show people if I can desire God more than anything and have a breakthrough and into unity, in, you know, into God's union, then anybody can. Mm. And everybody can. And everybody has that capacity because everybody is the divine light and is the, is the light, is the self. It's just that we've got so many veils in the way and so much karma in the way. And this leads me to the next thing. It took about 10 to 15 years to burn it off, that intensity of these two living in the two worlds and the light. Yeah. Did you feel like a lot of burning and purging was taking place during that 10, 15 yes. years? Yes, yeah. because of course your programs don't go. Right. You know, your personal karma is still there when you come back. You've got some new wine and an old wine skin. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like people who have a near-death experience in the hospital and their body's broken, completely cut up, yeah. and then they come back into this body and it's excruciating and they go, oh my God, I'm back from this celestial experience in a celestial realm and I have to deal with this body that's dying and they're in an emergency ward in the hospital. Let me ask you a quick question I before a, you go on. Yes. And that is that some people have a radical awakening like that. Yes. And it can leave them not knowing how to brush their teeth, you know, right. I mean, just it takes years, as you say, to learn to function as a normal human being. Other people never seem to have something like that. It seems like it's more incremental. They take a bite, they chew it, they swallow it. Take another bite, chew yes. it, swallow it. And enlightenment kind of sneaks up as a thief in the night, you know, as it says in the, in the yeah. Bible. And next thing they know, they're in this sort of awakened state, but without ever having gone through anything. So do you, do you think that both are legitimate things, or do you think that even those people I just mentioned who are more incremental are at some point going to have an explosion that they're going to have to somehow integrate? Well, first of all, I'd say both are legitimate things. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that the thief in the night way would be so much easier <laughs> because you integrate it each mouthful, yeah. one bite at a time. Right. And ultimately, are they going to have that kind of bleed through? It's hard to say. Maybe some do and some don't. Mm. But certainly my experience right after in India when I had that full immersion in the absolute for eight weeks, when I came back in, 
when I ate food or went to the bathroom or brushed my teeth, I experienced that I was the water, I was the toothbrush, I was the soap washing the body, I was the cows in the field, I was the grass, I was the sky, I was the food itself that was being consumed. So I didn't have any identity yeah. with being an individual self. So functioning was like I had to tell my leg, okay, step step, walk, lift the foot, because at some point, even though it was all, of course, doing it itself, which it, it knows how to do it itself, mm -hmm. there was some part of me that was like, you know, I am the grass and I am the foot, and how do you get the foot to lift on the grass? Well, it's all automatically programmed, of course, but there was a phase immediately where I was so merged into everything, I didn't know if it would operate unless I made it operate. Till I realized yeah. that it's all automatic. You can let it go, it's yeah. all automatic, it's gonna do it itself, and it's gonna feel weird in the beginning to be everything, and it'll slowly, it slowly calm down to the point where you are able to experience both simultaneously without being overly blown open right I was overly blown open yeah so it takes time to normalize and ground and get Stabilize. back to practical yeah. it took me like 10 years 15 yeah. years mm -hmm. and like I said the karmic tapes are still going so you still have all the karma to burn through when you come back in and that's a process you know to let that burning happen that was the burning and the purification that was happening over the 15 years hmm. right and even then, when you were in that state where you could barely function, there must have been some remnant. I mean, when you would eat, you would put the food in your mouth, you wouldn't put it in your shoe. No. You know, you'd, there would be some sense of, yes, okay, this is. goes here, and there the is. foot goes in the shoe. <laughs> there is. But, you know, you're so blown open that... It's bizarre. Yeah. You feel really weird and silly, <laughs> kind of goofy. Like, wait, I am the food, now I'm on the fork, now I'm in the mouth, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is me, I'm all of it. How do I operate this? And the eye you're referring to there, it's not like, Okay, Mirabai is in the food. You're talking yeah. about the... The cosmic self. The cosmic self. Yes. And everything is that. And you are that. Yeah. You are the all that is. You are the that. Right. But the integration of that doesn't imply the loss of it. Right? No. It's more, it's just integration. Yes, it's yeah. integration and then you learn to be within the skin at the same time and then it just, yeah. everything tones down, radically tones down. Yeah, because a few minutes ago you were saying things in the past tense. Well, I was seeing the devas and I was seeing auras and I was seeing all the celestial levels and all that. Don't you still see all that stuff? Yes. But it's, it's just kind of like integrated. Well, you turn it on and off when you need it. I see. It's not all open all the time, simultaneously, in every moment. So you're you walking down the choose. street, you're not seeing everybody's auras because there's no need to or something. No, you can choose to turn the dial down and okay. turn it up when you need it. So when I do it. Yeah gathering or an individual session or a group or mm -hmm. whatever then I'll turn it up yeah and if I'm just walking down the street going to the shop mm -hmm. to the store then I'll turn it down so that I can have an easier time yeah. with it all yeah interesting how it's tunable it's tunable yeah did you ever see Amma, the hugging saint? I did, yeah, many times. Yeah, and you know this thing she does, Devi Bhava, at yes. the end, where she like removes a bunch of veils and it's yes. like blast furnace time. Yeah, <laughs> Kali comes through. Yeah, it's very interesting. Maha Kali. Yeah. Yeah, she's wonderful, she's great. Yeah. Yeah. So you were going to start saying something and then I wanted to interject. What happens is that then when you start the teaching phase, mm -hmm. um, what happens with that is that there were different inner masters, then later um, mentors, masters and mentors that then showed me how to burn the karma off again in humans and transmute it. So what it, it went from, well, I don't know how to do any of this, 
to them showing me from the inner planes and from the outer world also mm -hmm. how to burn karma off for people and take them out of darkness into light learning how to heal the physical emotional mental bodies and learning how to take people into higher states of consciousness through taking veils of negativity and darkness and karma and illusion from people so of course there were inner teachers mm -hmm. that were supreme beings that, that were expanded on celestial realms that took me through realms and dimensions again from that stage on during that 10-year integration period there was what I describe a rewiring and regridding process you following me I am and the rewiring or regridding process is the rewiring of the individual nervous system and the electrical system mm -hmm. so that you can handle high frequencies of light while still being in a human form you have to upgrade and upgrade and upgrade without blowing all your circuits at yeah. the same time so that's what was taught to me over those 10 years and done on me make sense yes absolutely okay and I can think of casualty cases where some circuits were blown you know I mean it's a, it's a delicate process yes exactly yeah. and yeah there are casualty cases where circuits get blown and mm -hmm. that's what we try to avoid right with safety people. first Marshy's teacher safety always used first. to say Gurdav. safety first yes I remember that <laughs> yeah. yes and so what happened uh, is that I learned a certain amount from the inner realms and the inner planes on how to burn and transmute karma and how to transmit light and also how to work with individuals to take them into higher states of consciousness and how to heal the physiology and then later on I had the blessing of meeting um, two, two different male teachers that uh, became colleagues of mine and great friends and mentors that then ended up changing the course of my work. The one was Thomas Ashley Ferrand or Namadeva who is one of the world experts on mantras and uh, he taught mantra to the planet, to the Western world and I ended up traveling with him all over the US uh, where he would teach mantra and I would do light transmission and teach people about um, spiritual activation and healing and then the second one was, was more in the last uh, 10 years was Howard Wills and Howard Wills of course brought the forgiveness prayers from the divine light he was given the forgiveness prayers from the divine light he's an awakened being and he was shown how to instantaneously heal people's physiologies and I had been given the gift when I had my awakening in India one of the little calling card blessings that the divine left me with when I came back into normal waking state was the gift of instantaneous healing mm -hmm. and I prayed for it to be taken from me during those 10 years because it was too much to come back and integrate and then have that gift on top of everything right. else it was once. like I can't deal with all this all at once you know I'm trying to maintain a separation I'm wobbly I'm like a toddler learning how to walk, walk as a human again and then I can't have people coming to me and seeking me out for instantaneous healing on top of that and I I was trying to reform an identity and I didn't want my ego to take it so meeting Howard Wills 10 years ago and his instantaneous healing and his forgiveness prayers was just the catalyst that opened that door back up for me again and he helped me to get that instantaneous gift for healing back and I spread the forgiveness prayers to millions of people around the world because they're so potent in cleansing and transmuting karma and also the light transmissions that I had been giving in the form of the darshans 
and the style that Howard Wills was working in became more integrated into my teachings through um, cleansing through forgiveness, healing through forgiveness, and working with um, cleansing and peacemaking became a huge part of my teaching. And I've been uh, teaching those both with Howard Wills and by myself around the world mm -hmm. um, for the past 10 years, as well as doing what I was doing before with the darshan and the taking people into higher states of consciousness and transmuting karma. So I've found this new form has very much been compatible with where I was coming from and found I found that it was a way for me on a personal level to be able to have less ego identification with it all mm. because there's a system involved and that system is really not just me. It's a system of prayer and it's working with the divine light where I can just be the conduit and then people can still have the results and then I can give them the prayers to do at home so they can continue the results on their own versus what was happening to me before which was just direct. You've had a, you know, many years of experience in, of silent meditation, transcending yes. and so on. Yes. And uh, Howard came to town about 10 years ago yes. and I went and I, I got the prayers, but yes. I've never been much of a prayer, you know? I mean, I, yes. I read them for a couple of days, but it, I, I'm so in the habit of just... Transcending. Yeah, that I felt like this is too much mental chatter. I don't feel like doing this. Yes. So, what would you say to somebody like me about that? <laughs> oh, lots of people in Fairfield ask me that. Yeah. And you know I've had both sides. Mm -hmm. I've been merged in the absolute where you are merged in the Godhead and who are you praying to? Who is praying to yeah, who? Yeah, right. Okay. So it's really important to know that the ego and personality is not God. Okay, it's a part of God, but it's not God. So the Godhead, the Supreme Self, is who the, the ego personality mind lower levels of the human are talking to the higher and I call it higher self because mm -hmm. it's easier for people that are used to transcending to understand when you're transcending you're transcending into the absolute you're transcending into the self when you're back out in your personality and your ego mind which you may or may not be depending then that's really all prayer is it's the lower self talking to the higher self it's the ego mind personality talking to the divine self the divine nature it's all one it's just one's ice and one's steam. Mm. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And so the ice is the human mind ego personality and the steam is the spirit, is the self. And they're all one. But for cleansing the mind, the ego and the personality that are in separation, we do need techniques. And peacemaking or forgiveness is a technique. Prayer is a technique where we're talking to the divine self to ask for the grace factor. And there's other ways to access grace. Also, the light transmissions access grace, meditation accesses grace, yeah. but prayer certainly accesses grace. So for somebody who is more deeply merged and needs less words, that, you know, that can be the case, although peacemaking cleanses the lower levels. We always need to cleanse the lower levels. We need to cleanse the ice and melt the ice. So depending on your state of consciousness, I would say would be dependent on what techniques you need or whether you need a teacher or not. If somebody is functioning on the practical and merged into the absolute and their lower, lower levels of mind, ego and personality are not causing chaos or disruption or negative karma or disease, then maybe you wouldn't need them. But most people have 
physical disease or emotional disease or mental disease or they have karmic repercussions from negative actions, negative thoughts and negative words and that's what the prayers work on. Okay. They don't work on the soul level because the soul's already the light, it's complete yeah. in itself. Everybody's got something. Self-referral. Everybody has some karma and of course that's the way it's meant to be. See? Yeah. People think that they're just supposed to be perfect but it doesn't work that way. You probably wouldn't be here if you were. No. This is a finishing school. Yeah. This is a completion training and to some people it's a kindergarten so we have all levels of school here on the earth plane. Yeah, we do, don't we? Boy, what a, what a range. I love to say, I just have to fit this in real mm -hmm. quick here, Paramahansa Yogananda, in one of his books, I believe it was Autobiography of a Yogi, he said, the earth is the second most dense physical planet in the physical universe. And in many ways, if you look at the higher what the first dimensions, <laughs> everybody asks that. Yeah. He never said that, huh. actually. But uh, not to my knowledge, maybe yeah. he said it to his inner circles. Huh. But um, if you understand it that way, then it ranges all the way from kindergarten to PhD. So we've got people here on, in kindergarten level, and we've got people here learning PhD level. So different techniques, different teachers would apply to different folks. Since we're referring to Maharshi a fair amount, we, since we both have that background, yeah. um, I read something from him recently in which he was saying that the uh, simultaneous amplification of both positive and negative is very conducive to awakening, global awakening. Yeah. That if it were just sort of one or the other, there wouldn't be so much of a need or an impetus or a move on, on nature's part to awaken the planet. But the fact that there's this sort of polarity that has developed uh, to a great degree is, is somehow a harbinger of, of dramatic transformation. Can I share from my own experience? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in South Africa in the apartheid era mm. where um, there was a silent revolution. The outer revolution never happened, but the form of the revolution was very advanced crime. And uh, Johannesburg, the city I grew up in, was the number one crime capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And so the suffering that I witnessed was so extreme that when I came and moved to the United States based on my spirit calling me to be here in 1998, the, what I saw here was comfort. Mm. And I didn't see the growth, the levels of growth, the extreme amount of suffering that I'd seen in South Africa or you would see in India too because I'd spent time of course in 92 in India. I didn't see that in the United States and I saw a kind of a lethargy. I arrived here in 98 and it was like half the people I met were on coffee, sleeping tablets to sleep at night, numbing out watching television, living on junk food, antidepressants every second person and I realized that it was because they didn't have the level of suffering mm. that keeps people on their toes in South Africa that makes people so desperate for God and for enlightenment and for change and for breakthrough and for solution and what I noticed is when 9-11 happened here and the whole country went into fear and I remember because I was in South Carolina teaching a light worker training at the time and I remember seeing on the news what had happened on 9-11 and the whole environment went into fear and the first thought I had is this feels like South Africa. Hmm. South Africa is in that amount of fear and now the US is in that amount of fear and it feels like South Africa and I noticed 
The awakening went like that. It skyrocketed after 9-11, although that was a traumatic tragedy, which we give a lot of credit to the suffering that the people went through and everybody, the whole country went through and the whole world went through. I certainly saw a rise in consciousness. It was a kickboard to wake people up yeah. and it woke many people up. Mm -hmm. And that has continued to happen since then. So I have to say, I have personally experienced that suffering and even fear can turn people towards the light and towards a spiritual path and towards spiritual solutions. And many great saints have said, unless we have some form of pain or suffering, we don't always turn towards God. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, isn't it, that as a species, we tend to get lazy and lethargic unless we are hit against the wall. And that's when usually people start praying or start meditating or start looking at how can I change my life or let me find a great spiritual teacher or let me do something, a healer. That's an awakened agent for change. Yeah, it's funny. I have this dear friend. Uh, we, we used to call ourselves disasterarians because whenever something would happen in the world, we think change is happening, <laughs> you know, the, the world is changing. We'd have this positive reaction and our wives would look at us like, what the heck's wrong with you guys? <laughs> but, um, Those you are know, the fire elements in you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that we wanted people to suffer or anything, no. but, you know, we, obviously we all want the world to change. And yes. we were kind of interpreting events as being indicative of change, you know, rather than as being just a bad thing happening. And people sometimes don't like it at gatherings when I open up talking about what a critical condition the world is in mm -hmm. and the reality is you know some people like to have their head in the sand and they don't want to hear it and the, it's the reality our world is in a critical oh, yeah. state and that is an agent for change that's when we all need to rally together as in communities and make the changes that need to be made find the solutions that need to be implemented and do whatever we can to bring in the light in the new paradigms, in the new solutions. So it's not a negative thing. It's just that, again, it's that kickboard, that agent for change that we need to move quickly and do yeah. something about it. And fortunately, some people are, but many people are still with their heads in the sand saying, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. And wouldn't you say that people like yourself and other spiritual teachers, they're, they're doing their best to sort of lubricate the process, you yes. know? I mean, it doesn't have to be too traumatic. It, it, the, tr the trauma can be minimized uh, as the more, the more the spiritual element can be infused into the world consciousness, the, the less traumatic the transformation has to be. Exactly. But one way or the other, the transformation has to be. Exactly. It has to happen. Yeah. That's time well has said. come. Time has come. We're in it. We're mm -hmm. in the time now. Yeah. There's no more time. <laughs> even on the news, I mean, news, you know, the news, I watch the news every night, and, and you know, even the, the Brian Williams on NBC News says things like, you know, people are, are starting to feel like, you know, the world is coming to an end or something. There's so many disasters and so many difficult situations. I mean, ISIS is beheading people on, on, on TV, and, you know, we've got Ebola in Africa breaking out, and Syria's situation is crazy, and, and, you know, it's like people are scratching their heads and saying, well, what's this? And now we have, and then when there's global warming, which yeah. people who are really into that say that could wipe out a good portion of humanity, and, yeah. and even all of us, if the temperature rises six degrees centigrade, would be incompatible with human life. Yeah. So 
some people are a little pessimistic and, and can't quite, and even people with a spiritual bent who, you know, are focusing on that stuff can't quite see how a spiritual transformation is going to manage to circumvent the, the huge momentum of negativity that seems to be building. So I imagine you have a different perspective. Well, I've been working very closely with this, as you can imagine, over mm -hmm. the last 10 to 20 years. And my experience is, is that this is critical and this is the catalyst to get us to do something about it. And we are in that period of time right now, as we were just saying, where the changes need to be implemented and the new paradigms need to be brought about. And it's not that we don't have the solutions. We have the solutions. We've already seen all around the world so many great solutions being presented for all of our world's problems. We just need to use them. We need to implement them. We need to apply them and make the changes. And slowly, slowly, it's being realized. And so if more um, political heads and more countries would really take action to refuse to continue the old ways we've been doing things and really step into the, um, the ways that we can move from here on out. I'm trying to think of the exact word. There's a, there's a word for that. We'll just say apply new solutions. And this is what... Innovation. Innovations, yeah. new technology. Yeah. Um, well, there's all kinds of cool possibilities. Yes. And so... And many of them have been tested and proven to work. Yeah, energy so, things. And, I mean, we could pave the roads with solar panels. There are people working on that. And your car, they would provide free energy for everybody, and they would charge your car as you drove along. There's so many. <laughs> I mean, we could spend hours talking yeah, about yeah. the amount of solutions that have been found by people around the world. And now it's time to implement them. And so I feel that we need to turn our back on the negativity and the past and what we've done and really embrace these solutions and, and move quickly on them because the time, like you said, the environment, the global warming, the natural cataclysms that are speeding up, that's the pressure cooker. It's nature just putting us into the pressure cooker saying, do or die. Yeah. Get off the seat and take some action. It's the, it's the way to kick us into action. And it's really a wake-up call, major wake-up call, and it's a furnace not just in terms of global warming and the physical heat, but it's a furnace on a spiritual level also to get us to really wake up. That seems to be a known factor around the world in spiritual communities and even in environmental communities. So now let's see what happens. There's so many stories. It's a David and Goliath kind of a story because, you know, the, the powers that be, they seem so strong and so dominant and so much in control of everything and the yeah. government is gridlocked and the oil companies have yeah. billions of dollars and all this stuff. And we're these spiritual people meditating, putting out good vibes. And you know, a lot of people think you people are crazy to think that you're actually going to affect any kind of change. Yeah. But you and I know that the subtle is more powerful than the gross. Consciousness is what is the factor for change. Right. Nothing on the relative can change without consciousness. Yeah. Because consciousness is what creates it. So what we see on the planet today is a reflection of the low level of consciousness 
of the masses that we had. Now you have these spiritual pockets around the world that have raised their consciousness and are trying to impact the rest of the world to raise their consciousness because as consciousness rises, we look at some of the things we've been doing and we see it's barbaric. It's barbarianism. It's prehistoric barbarianism. And we're still allowing things like this to occur on our planet, even though we know it's destroying the environment. We know it's destroying the earth. We know it's destroying nature. Yeah. And so how can we allow this to continue? And everybody at some level that looks into it knows that's true. And so it's just a matter of us as I said, we have to trust that consciousness is changing and that the positive will prevail and that the old paradigm structures will fall away. In other words, these very dominant, aggressive, male patriarchal structures that are keeping the planet and nature suppressed and in domination will have to fall away and give way to these new paradigm solutions that will save the planet and will be uplifting for nature and will be uplifting for all life forms on the earth. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the planet's not going to make it. Right. I know many spiritual teachers have been talking about this for the last 20 to 50 years, that we're going to come to this critical time of change where we're going to have to make the decision. We're going to have to take actions that are going to bring about this global change. Otherwise, they don't know whether we're going to make it or not. And to a large extent, I feel we are. I feel we are, although it is hot and it is going to get hotter over the next year or two. You're talking about literally? I'm talking about energetically, energetically. and climate-wise yeah. with the cataclysms. Uh -huh. This is prophecy. Yeah. This has been prophesized by mm -hmm. the Mayans and other great prophets that this is going to happen to force humanity, so to speak, to choose positivity, mm -hmm. to choose love, to choose unity, and to choose life-preserving technology instead of to move towards and continue the path of destruction which we need to move away from. Yeah. It's just obvious. That's what we're magnifying, focusing our intentions on, praying for, energizing and supporting is these new paths. One can get pessimistic because it seems like the powers that are in control are so intractable and, and how can we change things. But I, I really feel like, like you're saying that uh, there's a momentum and it's growing and it's subtle but powerful. And somehow or other, I mean, you know, look at how much the world has changed from one century to the next. And no yes. one could have foreseen the, yes. the degree of the changes. Yes. They always think things are going to pretty much stay the way they are, but then yeah. there's huge changes. Yes. I'd like to comment on that. Please. I would say that the light will always prevail, mm -hmm. the truth will always prevail, and that there will be a positive outcome. I don't believe it that it's immediate. Some people felt that in 2012, we're you know, we were all going to wake up, the whole planet was going to wake up, and <laughs> <laughs> everyone was going to start levitating and yeah. walking through walls and manifesting instantaneously. And all of that was what we all talked about as being part of the golden age or the fifth dimension, whatever you want to call it. But the reality is change takes time. And there is, you know, if we focus on all the pockets and areas where the change is coming and where positive things are being being done and where consciousness is rising and we keep focusing on that little by little by little things sometimes need to fall apart before they get better mm -hmm. and little by little they're going to get better and I think there's going to be some more falling apart to come until things get better but they will get better they will improve there's yeah. no doubt about it 
Well, think about it. I mean, think about how many things there are on this earth that really have no business being here. Just take some obvious examples, tobacco companies and yeah. GMOs and the whole oil industry, which served us for a while, but is, is really antiquated now and obsolete. If we're really going to undergo the kind of change you're talking about, somehow or other, those things are going to have to collapse. Yes. And These are the old paradigms yeah. that I was referring to that are not life-preserving, that are destructive, and that are going to destroy the human race as well as the other life on the planet. Mm. But the reality is that these old paradigms must fall during this time mm. so that the new paradigms that are life-preserving can come into being. And so we're going to see more and more of that crumbling of the old and the birthing of the new. And as the old's crumbling, it's not pretty. It gets a stronghold and gets more intense. I was out on a boat ride on Lake Lucerne with Marishi one time and he was talking about this topic and you know things were going to get kind of wild and, and people were saying, well how can we survive this Marishi? You know, and he said, just hold on to yourself. Because the, the light is within you mm -hmm. and the light is peace and if you hold on to that peace within you and that light within you, then everything that's happening on the outside, you can bring light to that. You can bring peace to that and just keep remembering we're not this body, we're not this form, this is a tr we are here to help make a difference. Mm. We're here on this planet, in this world, to make a difference and to help bring in the new paradigms, to help the light prevail. We're here to do the work, we are the hands and feet of God. And yes, things are falling apart and they're going to continue to fall apart because things are not going to be pretty mm. during this period. I mean, if you just look at what's going on on the planet and how it's intensifying, for some people that's very scary. But when you understand that it's, it's a purification mm. of the old crumbling and the new rising, it's going to look ugly for a while. Look what happens to the poor caterpillar. He goes into this cocoon and turns to mush. His whole body disintegrates, you oh. know? And then somehow or other, these imaginal cells begin to form and begin to take structure. And next thing you know, you have a butterfly coming out. So beautiful. <laughs> and butterflies are symbols of transformation. Mm. And we're undergoing major transformation on the planet. And anyone knows when you're undergoing transformation, it's painful. You feel like you're being ripped apart. Your life is being ripped apart. It's upside down. It's a mess. Even the planet is being ripped apart upside down in a mess but the orderliness inside of the soul of the spirit and the knowledge of the self the orderliness of that inner infinite impeccability that organizing power of the universe mm -hmm. that is universe functions according to absolute precision nothing happens by mistake nothing happens by chance everything is deliberately on purpose whether it's a cancer in your body or whether it's global warming it's on purpose, like you said, it's all part of the evolutionary cycle to wake us up mm. and to get us to make different choices, different decisions, and to learn the lessons and do better. So I'd say love, serve, give, transform, bless, and stay focused on positive thoughts, words, and actions, and keep on the path of positivity because it is ultimately only going to get better. Mm. And that's not just hopeful thinking, no. that's because there's somebody in charge of this universe. Yeah, that's beautiful. We have a, about five minutes left and I, I hate to like throw away five minutes because I could talk to you all day and, and, but that was such a beautiful statement. I almost am tempted to make that the concluding statement. Is there anything else you'd like to say? There's so much more I could say. I mean, really just the main focus of my work is divine love and is the path of self-love and teaching people how to love themselves and to receive love from the self 
and that when we can really stop beating ourselves up in our lives, stop judging ourselves, stop criticizing ourselves, stop negating ourselves, and focus, like I was saying, on that deep inner state of love and magnifying that and making that the most important thing in our lives, that we're a loving person and that everything we're doing, thinking and speaking is loving, is positive, is uplifting, is beneficial to the planet, is helping others, that's what we take with us when we leave here. Mm. We don't take with us the rest. We don't take with us anything else material, anything else that we've created. Just what we've done on an inner level, wherever we complete ourselves to be in that state of love, when we leave this world is what we take with us and where we go to when we leave. We go to places that reflect that, that held us, held us in more love and that then we're able to evolve. So even though we're in the fire, in the washing machine here, stay focused on what's real. Stay focused on transforming yourself. Even though the world is tumbling around, transform yourself with focusing inside on your inner State, meditate on the light, meditate on the love that you are, and meditate on the divine within you and fortify yourself, strengthen yourself so that you have the resilience to be able to walk through this world and not be thrown like a leaf on the wind here and there, just affected by all the suffering around you. But when you're strong and your cup is overflowing and you've given to yourself and you've received that love and you've taken care of nurturing yourself, you have infinite amount to give to others and you can help others, and you can help your community, and you can make a difference. And that's where our focus needs to be, not on the negativity, because that drains our energy. Beautiful. When are you coming back to Fairfield again? I'm not sure yet. Maybe next year or yes, something like that? Yes, it would be 2015. Good. I'd like yeah. to do this again when you come back. Wonderful. I'd love that. Thank yeah. you. Because really, I mean, I could sit here all day. I, questions keep coming. Let's talk about this. But I know our time is limited. Thank um, you. So this is very sweet. and. Um, Lest you don't pick up on this through the video camera and, and you might think that she's just a very eloquent person, there's a beautiful energy around you and I, I can just feel myself kind of bathing in it. Thank you know, you. very uplifting and clarifying and, and sweet. Uh, so I really think that you embody that of which you speak. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there is no separation, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only that which is in our minds. Yeah. You know what it, it is? There's, it's like when I'm in the presence of someone who is highly evolved or enlightened or something, it's almost like there's a feeling like the air is thick with something that yeah. um, is, in, is by no means isolated to their immediate physical presence. Yeah. This is like a, a fullness or a wholeness kind of permeates the, the atmosphere. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, very good. Great. So, let me make some concluding Thank remarks. You. I've been speaking with Mirabai Devi. This is one of an ongoing series of interviews. If you go to batgap.com, you will find them all archived and indexed in various ways, alphabetical, chronological, categorical. <laughs> and we're going to be putting up a page also where you can search for events in your area. In other words, you could like search London and see of all the people I've interviewed what might be coming up in London. Or you could sort it by teacher and you could search on Mirabai and you'd see all of her events that are coming up and, uh, and so on. So there's that and various other things if you explore the menus on the site batcap.com. And of course there'll be a page about Mirabai dedicated to this interview and from there you'll find links to her website. Have you written any published books? Do you have any books on I do. I have a book called Samadhi, The Essence of the Divine, ah, right is. there. 
and I have four published CDs that are on my website on CD Baby. Um, the book is actually on Amazon.com. You can so order it through Amazon. I'll link to the Amazon thing directly from the site. Yes, so you can get it on my website or mm -hmm. on Amazon.com as well as my four CDs on CD Baby or directly on my website. Great. So that just about covers it. Thank you very much for listening or watching. I'm going to take the weekend off next week. The following weekend will be Judith Blackstone.